Welcome to Linda's Corner. My name is Linda Bjork, and today we're going to be talking about overcoming adversity. I'm delighted to welcome special guest Maxwell Ivy, internationally known as the Blind Blogger. Max started losing his vision at an early age, becoming legally blind by junior high school and totally blind by the time he graduated from college. And yet, He's an entrepreneur, blogger, author, motivational speaker, online media publicist, and the host of What's Your Excuse podcast. You can reach Maxwell at his website, theblindblogger.net, and I'll include a link in the description. Welcome, Max. I'm so grateful that you could join with me today. Well, thank you, Linda. And I'm so grateful that, um, you know, that you were showed the, the patience and stuck with it to get me on here. I really appreciate it. Yes, and to explain to our listeners... It's taken me three tries to be able to connect with Max. He's a busy guy, and he's got a lot of things going on in his life. So I am really excited that we were actually able to connect today. So this is going to be fantastic. So Max, I love the name of your podcast, The um, What's Your Excuse? And you have endured so much, and you have accomplished so much that you tend to leave people without an excuse. And I love that. Would you be willing to share your story? Absolutely. That is, after all, why we are here. Uh, as I tell my students, people don't ask you on their podcast for yourself stuff. They ask you on to tell your story. So I grew up in a family of carnival owners in East Texas, outside of Houston. Uh, always wanting to be part of the business. I also knew from an early age that I would eventually lose uh, part, if not all, of my vision. But I was able, through encouragement from my family, teachers, scoutmasters, and others, I graduated from a traditional high school and a traditional college. I'm also one of the few blind Eagle Scouts. I was lucky enough to be part of the family business for about 15 years before my dad's death caused the closure of the show. Oh. A few years, yeah. But we weren't ready to take over the business when he passed away. 50, 50 or... Uh, 60 maybe doesn't sound young on the surface, but, you know, it's never really, it's, it's always too soon. But we weren't really ready to take over the business at the time. And about two to three years after he passed, we had to, to sell what rides we had left and combine our equipment with my uncle's carnival. And I went through a bad period of about three or four years there because I had lost my dad, my business partner, the guy I spent driving up and down the roads for you know, probably a million or more miles on uh, dirt roads and two-lane highways all over Texas and the southeast. And uh, also, really nobody else in the family had a desire to grow or expand the business. It was all just how do we get to the point where we can you know, pay the bills and have a certain amount of income coming in. So didn't have the same goal. My uncle didn't really have a place for me on his midway. And so I started thinking, well, what do I need to do where I can have something new? I will admit that I did go through some some depression, let's call it. I just really was lost for a while. I was never healthy before then. I put on a lot of weight. And at one point, I was almost kicked out of a motel in Fort Lavaca, Texas for urinating on the bedwinnings and was uh, taken to the doctor. And I was told, Mr. Ivey, if you don't do something about your physical well-being, 
you're not going to be around long. And the guy said, I'm not talking years. I'm talking months. So I I went, so I went home and I saw a doctor and was lucky enough to find one in my, on on my insurance at that time who I liked. And we were able to listen to each other and talk to each other. And she put me on a bunch of medicine at first. She then had me tested for sleep apnea, which it turned out I had and got treatment for that through a CPAP machine. And once I started getting quality sleep again, I also started having a desire to do something more than just hang out at the house and watch television or possibly, you know, play on the internet. So I thought, what do I know how to do? And since I had helped my dad sell our used equipment whenever we wanted to buy something newer, I thought, okay, I'll help people sell rides on the internet. I started the Midway Marketplace in 2007, and I had to learn a whole bunch of new things, including how to hand code HTML. But I taught myself how to do that because that was the only way to get my website online. After that, I learned about blogging and recording videos and building an email list and all the other stuff that goes into having a business nowadays. People were inspired. They said, you know, Max, we just love how you take on these difficult challenges and we want to hear more of what it's like to be a blind entrepreneur. And that led to the blindblogger.net. It's led to four books so far, traveling the country solo, public speaking, singing in public, uh, the online media work. And, of course, my podcast, What's Your Excuse? And I think I may have went a little longer than you'd hope for, but I'm still working <laughs> on trying to get it out there quicker. You are doing fantastic. So as we talk a little bit about your health, and you talked about putting yourself in a better uh, position, a better situation, uh, on your bio you mentioned you lost 250 pounds. So we're talking a person a good-sized person. You had a couple people, and you downsized to one people. So um, how long did that take? And you mentioned just briefly that you did some medication, that you worked on getting your sleep improved. How else, what else did you do to help make that amazing transformation? Right. Well, my doctor noticed that I had been trying to lose more weight on my own and wasn't making any progress. We tried a couple of the, what they call, uh, uh, medical weight loss drugs, like metformin. That didn't really do anything. And she asked me if I would go to a seminar on gastric surgery and just listen to them. And I said, they're not going to talk me into this, but I'll go if it'll make you happy. So I went, and luckily I got to, got, got to connect with uh, Dr. Terry Scarborough, who was, ended up being my surgeon. He wasn't the one who gave the seminar. It was his partner that night. But they left me with several very important things. One was that only 50% of the people who have a surgery lose the weight they need to and keep it off. Really? And that too, yeah, really. It's, it's, it's amazing when you hear numbers like that. Um, and the other thing was is that this is not the answer in and of itself. It's still going to require a lot of work. You're going to have to change a lot of your habits and lifestyle in order, in order for this to, to take effect and and basically, they, they made the case that if you're going to do it, you have to approach it as if you're going to do this every day for the rest of your life. And that's not an easy thing for us humans to do. We're, we're good in short or medium stretches, but if you tell us we have to do something every day from now on, that's hard. Isn't but, that the truth? Yes. Yes, it is. But the nutritionist we spoke with was really good. She had, had a lot of training in the emotional side of building new habits and uh, basically, just like everything else, you know, you want to break it down into smaller pieces. She was like, 
I know that there are all these things that we've told you you need to do, but we don't expect you to do them all at the same time right away. So we were each given an assignment to pick one habit that we would change and do that for at least a month and then work on adding additional habits. So for me, my first change was switching from liquids to solids because your stomach can hold a whole lot more juice and milk than it can hold apples and cheese. It's just natural physics, you know, or biology, let's say. I have so, never thought of that. So are you switching to like from sodas to eating a meal? Is that kind of the thing that we're talking about? Yeah. Like instead of drinking milk, eating yogurt. Instead of drinking juice, uh, having some freeze-dried fruit. Because, if you know, if most of it outside of the freeze-dried, they add, they add sugar and a bunch of other stuff to it. But, yes, basically swapping... Grabbing, grabbing a glass of something for something you have to chew. Wow. Okay, so first step. I need to lose 250 pounds. Eat more <laughs> well, and first, drink that less. The first step. That was the first step. Six months later, 81 pounds later, visits with a psychologist later, I have a gastric surgery. I'm in the hospital for two days, and I come home. And from the time I had the surgery until a year or so after that, I lose the other 100 and. 40 pounds or 50 pounds. So even with the surgery, it was not very, it was not very quick. You know, it was a pound a week kind of a thing, but the surgery allowed me to lose it and keep it off. It allowed me to, uh, to do things because I had been at, I'd been at good places in my life over the years with my weight only to get it all back again. So I kind of felt like this was my best chance. And I have, I have gained a few of the pounds back, but it's not like, okay, in the past, before the surgery, if I started at 512 and let's say got down to 430, because that was what I was at before the surgery, and continued the way I usually do things, I would have gotten up back up to 550 or 600. Oh. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's difficult. You know, as they say, Nobody becomes 200 pounds overweight in one day, and it just takes so much mentally and emotionally to, you know, to stay on that path consistently until you lose that weight. And then, of course, to continue doing the things because we're just so tempted to go back to what we enjoy doing. You know, kind of like it's kind of like what happens with everybody out in the world with COVID. You know, it's all this pressure of, you know, we know that wearing the mask and washing our hands and staying away from people is the right thing to do. But after a while, he's like, how the heck is this? I just want to go have a cheeseburger and I just want to go hang out at a concert. You know, it's the same kind of thing. Yeah. Having a little bit of self-discipline is a tricky thing. And yet it does good things for us. It provides good results. Well, I'm so happy that you were able to make those health changes. May I ask, what kind of exercise can you do or do you do? Because uh, not being able to see makes it a challenge for that type of thing. Right. Well, I like to tell people that uh, anybody that has a disability, that they are all individuals. So I am not the greatest tech person. I'm also not the most ambitious when it comes to my exercise. Mm -hmm. I have a stationary bike, or as I refer to it, the bike that doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I had a treadmill that my uncle gave me that was one of those ones for, for taller, bigger people, and it broke. And I just haven't found another one that works with my body size because I'm six foot five. So oh. I don't want a treadmill that I have to bend over 
or that I have to stand up to the point I have to take my hands off of the the guide rails. So, you know, it's, it's a combination of finding something safe and something that you can do on a regular basis. My brother is continuously trying to get me to use free weights, and it's just not natural to me. But I've found that if if he will make an appointment to just, okay, Max, three times a week, on this day at this time, I'm going to come to your room and we're going to do curls, I would do it because I'm one of those people I really – it really bothers me if I if I make an appointment and then don't show up for it or if I tell somebody I'm going to do something and don't do it. So I think I really just need me a trainer, uh, you know, so that I don't have to worry about the logistics of getting to and from a, an exercise facility. But I, I have friends that are very uh, just totally out there. A woman in uh, Wichita, Kansas, uh, Jessica Loomer, who runs marathons and teaches yoga. And she's visually impaired. And then my friend, Emily Trepagne up in Vancouver, she's a downhill snowboard racer. And she's always in the gym or out on the hills or kayaking or stuff. I'm just not really adventurous compared to some of my friends. But really, there are ways to make anything safe. It just comes down to your personality, your, you know, what, what resources you have available to you at the time. That is fantastic. You're right. We all have different personalities and we have different things that we like. And I find when it comes to any kind of exercise, it's so helpful if it's something that you enjoy. And I'm glad that you have a bike that doesn't go anywhere and you're not (laughs) going to crash into anything. And there's something that you can do if you want to. So that's wonderful. And the way way I make it fun is by listening to audio books while I'm on it. And I generally switch between uh, biographies and personal development and on the other side, mysteries and science fiction. I find that it really just depends on what kind of mood I'm having. The harder of a time I'm having on a given day to actually get on the thing and start pedaling, the more likely I'm going to go to fiction. Hmm. I was thinking if if you're watching a mystery or listening to a mystery and that you know the bad guys chase, and I would think I would pedal faster, <laughs> you know, get away and. That's crazy. a good idea. I'm going to have to channel your idea the next time I do that. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about some of your awesome accomplishments. So you have um, a vision issues that you had from a, a young age and progress. So you've had the uh, opportunity to be able to see and then to recognize what was and what is. How has this experience um, impacted your, your business and just the way that you do things and the way that you see things? That's a good question. I... You know, one of the one of the things I struggle with is whenever I have to create artwork, I, I, I go back and forth. Sometimes I'm like, you know, I don't even know why they ask my opinion because I have really no references. And then other times I'm like, you know, Max, you have this vivid imagination. You have good instincts as far as storytelling goes. So maybe you don't know what all the images and colors are, but that doesn't mean that you don't have something to offer in the process. But I know that I... Of, of all the things that it takes to write a new book or to uh, release any other thing, the, the, that part where you have to come up with an image, that's always my least favorite thing, so I'm going to have to work on that. Uh, but I think, I think the one place where it really helps me is avoiding perfectionism. Because since I can't see my website or my blog or my videos, I'm more likely to put my content out there once I feel like it's good enough, even if I find out later that it maybe it wasn't. And the truth is, is you can put out content that needs, that could be better and people will still listen to it. They will still 
fall in love with you and follow you. Oh, yeah, some of it probably gives people giving me a little bit of slack because of the vision, but the more I find out about things that I've been doing for the last couple of years or three years or five years, and I go, man, I don't know how people ever subscribe if it's as bad as the site of people say it is, but that's the thing is I was able to put my content out there, and as I'm sure you know, there are a lot of people who are doing great work, but they're not telling anybody about it because they're still not sure if it's good enough, or... They've built a website or a blog or a podcast homepage. They still haven't made it live or public or told anybody about it. And so I think that, you know, this uh, being able to not not having the visual uh, feedback on my work probably allows me to put more work out there than if I was physically, you know, reviewing my own content. Because, I mean, it's uh, it was bad. I mean, I. I had the the ceiling light, so my head looked like it was, you know, disemboweled. I had the camera. <laughs> you, you saw the camera before we started recording because, you know, you reminded me I didn't have my external camera plugged in. So just imagine, you know, posting video to YouTube with that camera angle. And I did that for several years, and people, and people have watched those videos. I mean, uh, but... You know, I didn't know any better, and even now that I know better, I ain't taking them down because what? They might, somebody might miss the opportunity to be inspired or entertained because of it if I take them down. So, uh, I love that. So what this has given you an opportunity to let go of perfectionism. And okay. I would say it is an opportunity... And just like you mentioned, all those people who are afraid to put out their content because they don't think it's good enough, that kind of feeling, that opportunity for that feeling didn't magically get erased because your eyes don't work very well. It was a choice that you made to say, you know what, this is good enough and this is me. And I love that you said, I'm not perfect and people love me anyway. And I think that that message is so important because a lot of people feel like when I'm perfect, when I'm super, super amazing, then people will like me. And the truth is, it actually starts on the inside when we like ourselves and when we feel like, you know what, I am good enough. And people who can see that I'm good enough are going to come on board. And people who can't see that, they can just keep on walking. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, it's. Too many people think they'll like, they'll love me when I'm thin, or they'll love me when I have the new car, or they'll love me when I have the job, and I can I can show them that they were wrong about me five or ten or twenty years ago. And and you're right, it isn't the case. No, no, it's not. So I was going to ask about um, we we talked a little bit before about b before we started recording some of the things that you are working with in, in Texas and trying to get services and in trying to get some help and get the things that you need. And you've, you've been dealing with some frustration because sometimes people assume that if you have uh, differing needs, then you are not uh, capable, that you are, they, they underestimate your abilities and your, your value and do you want to explain a little bit about some of the things that you've been you've been fighting for as you're trying to get the help and assistance that you need? Right. Well, it's been mostly the uh, the addition of some new computer stuff because I'm a I'm a Mac user, but most of the most of the business world are Windows or at least Microsoft software users. Uh, training on the equipment, 
training in software such as customer relation management software and uh, being able to, to know more about how to use Zoom properly so that I can uh, manage a meeting by, by myself or for other people more effectively. So it's, it's uh, some, some equipment and some training and really just a, a, a misunderstanding, I think, as far as what I have to offer and part of it is because of my disability. I think part of it is because this person has been working in the system a long time. Uh, but you know, at some point, they even start to have you believing it. I mean, after oh, a while, I'm like, that's sad. you know, I have, after a while, I'm like, you know, I, if I don't get this from them, I'm not going to be able to do anything. And then I have to remember, wait a minute, I, you're the guy who just finds a way. The guy that's, you know, been doing stuff in spite of his resources for a long time now, more than I really like to talk about, because, you know, we I've, I've been online in one form or another for 14 years now. And that that's that's impressive. But it's some sometimes it's also like, you know, I would like to have quote made it by now. But the, the thing is, I have to remind myself, it's it's crazy how after you if you and I guess that goes back to the old, you know, the the. You're the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. I guess, you know, if you spend enough time dealing with people who don't understand what you have to offer, don't appreciate you, don't listen to you, you can start to internalize that and start to think, well, maybe I don't have anything or much to offer. Wow, that's good advice as far as paying attention to the voices that we are hearing and choosing which voices to listen to and to internalize. So you talked about, you know, doing things for, for a long time. Um, what would you advice would you give your, your, yourself, if you could go back in time, 20, 30 years, what would you say? Say, Hey, Max, here's something you ought to know. Yeah, I would, I would say that you are more talented than you believe you are, that there are so many other paths in life, in life besides the amusement industry, that, uh, there are more ways off of the midway than uh, than any of the high school counselors would have told you about, and that you're going to find out that there's very little that you can't do if you decide you have to do it. So uh, ability, capability, and you know, and it really shouldn't be a surprise to me because my dad and and people in in our industry, I. I've often told people that one of the first things you learn in the carnival world is that the only thing that matters is getting open. So regardless of what happens during the week, if you can make opening on Thursday or Friday night so that people can ride the Ferris wheel and buy a funnel cake, you've had a good week. And so, you know, you, you get, you learn from an early age that you're never going to have all the time, money or resources you want to have, but you still have to find a way to get open. And that's, one of those things that has really served me well, especially with all this online stuff, because there's been so many times where I didn't have the money to hire somebody or I didn't have the trust to hire somebody if I had had the money. I just had to find a way. And this is the carnival version of the show must go on, where you <laughs> yes, have this, this kind of, okay, that's fantastic. It's interesting. You mentioned that the carnival and your experiences and then the loss of your father 
And it sounds like that was your whole life. That was your everything that you knew, everything that you were expecting. You were expecting that to be your life and career moving forward. And, and yeah. that was quite, quite a shock when that, that's not the direction that things turned out to be. But I think you're probably influencing a lot more people now than if you just helped them have a good time riding the Ferris wheel over a weekend. Oh, there's no doubt about that. Um, you know, this is this is much more satisfying. I've gotten to, not only have I gotten to help a lot more people, but I've become a lot healthier physically and emotionally than I ever would have been. I have friends who are still in the industry who are very successful, and I don't know too many of them that are very happy. Oh, no. Yes. Why? Uh, why? Yeah. why are they not happy? Uh, I imagine well, I mean, you're away from of, home a lot. Because of the trade-offs they have to make in their lives to be successful. I mean, it. Uh, you, you, you have no way of knowing this, but nowadays in the industry, an average carnival ride is a quarter of a million dollar investment. Mm. And that's just for a, one ride. A thr- yes. A, a thrill ride is a, can be anywhere up to a million or two million dollars of investment. And mm. the huge gondola Ferris wheel that uh, comes to the livestock show here in Texas cost Ray Kamek shows twenty million dollars. So wait, wait, wait! This is a, a portable ride that's yes, twenty yes, million dollars. Yep, twelve trucks worth of steel, twenty million dollars. Oh, plus you have to have all those drivers, and you have to have people to put it together and to yeah, run it. And you have, and you have to constantly worry about the weather, the economy. Uh, people's attitudes towards the industry, um, accident uh, potential insurance costs. There's a whole, you know, fuel costs. It's a it's a stressful way to make a living. As my dad used to say, it's the only industry in the world where insanity is not a disqualification, but instead a necessity. <laughs> okay, so now I'm going to be thinking what other careers could fit that category because I'm there, sure yeah, there are others. Maybe, but... maybe a few, Police officer or a firefighter, you know, somebody willing to, to run into a burning building or, you know, confront somebody with an automatic weapon. That, that, maybe that's also an area where you, where you have to at least turn off your normal reflexes for a little while, you know. <laughs> Time to update the resume. Resume add yeah. insanity. Yeah. I am <laughs> willing to do this. Yeah, and... And that was a, that was a that was an interesting thing. Um, you know, I did have difficulty with some of the caseworkers, but when I was talking to the uh, career placement expert working on my resume, uh, the more she talked to me, the more stuff she put down on my resume. I haven't seen the final document yet, but you know, just as a document I can use to pitch potential uh, businesses that want to hire me to either help them create a podcast or help them use online uh, media platforms to promote their businesses. So. Looking forward to it. It was, it was kind of cool. Every, the longer I talked, the more stuff she wrote down. That is actually, I think, a beautiful thing. Sometimes we don't recognize our talents and our abilities. We're just doing what we do. And we yeah. might not realize, hey, what you're doing and what you can do naturally and normally is actually a very valuable skill that can be applied here, 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 and here. So how wonderful that you were able to have someone to speak with to be able to help you recognize and pinpoint those talents and abilities that you have. What were some of the things that she was able to, to pull out and list? Um, that I am a uh, natural networker. 
uh, public speaker, published author, um, that I was a, a natural problem solver, creative, creative solution finder, uh, and optimism, positivity, those sorts of things were in there a lot too. And uh, it's, I'm glad that you, you, you mentioned to make, to make a list because a lot of people, I think, we um, would feel a lot better about ourselves if we would make a list. You know, things that we've done that we could be thankful or grateful for, skills we've accumulated, um, because quite often we remember the, the bad or the worst more than we remember the good. And sometimes it does take a list. And one of the best things that I do, and I have to do it on a regular basis because I write a lot of emails to show hosts like yourself, is writing my introduction. And I think more people should write their uh, introduction or even think about, you know, if, if I were going to be a public speaker or a rock star or a professional wrestler, what would my introduction sound like? And put that down on paper somewhere. That sounds like a really good idea to write something down and to look for the positive. And even earlier, you mentioned, gosh, I feel like I've come, you know, it's been a long time and I haven't made it. And then you list what you have done. Well, I am a podcast host and I'm a published author and I've done this and I've done this. And I think, wow, what does make it mean? If, if you've done all of that and you still don't <laughs> feel like you've cash, made it, it cash. cash. All right, let's get some cash going on. All right. Well, let's open up the, the, the windows of heaven and flip down some cash on Max and and I'll be happy to take some as well. So, yeah, that's a great thing. <laughs> yes. And I, and I say that in jest, but the truth is, and you know this better than I do, because you do a lot more coaching than I do. There are way too many people who have accomplished a lot of things, but they're still feeling like the imposter because they haven't seen the money in the bank. And so I like to remind myself that I'm, uh, that I'm, uh, I'm, successful, accomplished, my piggy bank just ain't caught up with the rest of me yet. <laughs> That's the expression I like to use whenever anybody asks me is, well, Max, do you feel successful? And yeah, I do. I'm just waiting for that, you know. And, you know, when you do get to help somebody, you know, like um, I've been blessed to work with some great people right now. I'm, I'm helping a couple of filmmakers from New York who have done a great movie about how the blind can create, teach, and appreciate art. I've just had the great, best time helping these guys promote their work and connecting them with schools for the blind and, and museums and stuff. And that's, that's fun. And that's what you have to, you know, tap into a lot of times when it gets to the first or the third or the fifth of the month and you're paying your bills, you just have to tap into that, that fun, that curiosity, that satisfaction. And, uh, it's not easy to do every month, but it is, it is how you get through those days when you're wondering. That's a good point. And it does take, uh, it takes a lot of things. We, money is unfortunately required. It's, it's part of the game, but it's not the only thing that makes us happy. Like you mentioned with your carnival friends who have the, the, the piggy bank part, but maybe don't have that life satisfaction part. So I'm hoping for you to get both that your piggy bank will catch up with the rest of you. And I really appreciate you visiting with me today. Well, I really appreciate you having me on, and I just want to make sure I uh, that I don't forget to tell you this. Um, I've been doing interviews or having conversations since February of 2013. I started because I didn't have an easy way of networking with people face-to-face, -face, and I knew there had to be a way that I could, could get out and meet people and, and start making those connections. And I found out about 
uh, doing blog talk radio and then podcasting as a guest. And really, if it weren't for people like you, Linda, nobody would know who the heck I am. There wouldn't be a blind blogger or what's your excuse or any of this other stuff. So I just want to let you know, Pete, you and lots of others like you have been part of my story. You're a continuing part of my story. And without you, I wouldn't be successful. So thank you for having me on. Oh, it's a pleasure. And thank you for being a part of my story as well. In closing, I'd like to share a quote by Dieter F. Uchtdorf. He said, it is your reaction to adversity, not the adversity itself, that determines how your life story will develop. Today, I invite you to actively determine how your life story will develop by choosing how you react to the adversity in your life. See you next time on Linda's Corner. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Linda's Corner, please share and subscribe to help us reach new listeners. I also invite you to check out my nonprofit, Hope for Healing, at the website hopeforhealingfoundation.org for free ebooks, free audiobooks, and other free resources to help increase happiness, build confidence and self esteem, strengthen relationships, manage stress, and calm feelings of depression and anxiety. I also invite you to grab a copy of one of my books, like Crushed A Journey Through Depression, or Amazon bestseller You Got This an action plan to calm fear, anxiety, worry, and stress. See you next time on Linda's Corner.